0: Ourselves a nice foundation of tarot from the last two weeks. We've discussed the history of the Rider Waite Smith deck, some basic tarot knowledge like the elements being represented by the suits, and then we even took the Fool's Journey and learned that the Major Arcana cards tell a beautiful story of the Fool. Now it's time to take it up a notch though. We're going to stick with the Major Arcana for now. And I don't know if I'm actually going to do too much with the minor and court cards. Maybe I'll lump them into a quick mini episode or something at the end of all this, but still haven't decided that yet. If you guys have any ideas or just uh, know how in-depth you want me to go with it, then message me um, pretty soon and uh, just let me know if you really want me to go into them more or not. But anyway, for the major arcana, I'm just going to work through them and we're gonna analyze the astrological significances in each card. We'll be going over the artwork, the meanings of the cards, and how they align astrologically via zodiac signs, the planets, and the elements. Not every card is assigned a zodiac sign. Some of them have a planet, and some just encompass or embody the elements themselves. But each zodiac sign does have a card that is represented by one of the major arcana. So basically, each zodiac sign is going to have its own card, but not every major arcana card has a zodiac sign. That's pretty much all I'm saying there. I know we've really only talked about the Rider Waite Smith deck up until this point, and that's the one I'll be sticking with as far as imagery goes, but I will be using the assignments from the Thoth deck. In order to describe the significations. The Thoth deck or the Toth deck, I don't really know how you say his name, you know, there's multiple pronunciations, but I'm going to go with Thoth because that's what I've heard a lot. So that deck is extremely accurate as far as astrological significations go and the Rider-Waite-Smith deck does a brilliant job of illustrating that. So if you mash those two together, you've got a great way to teach how astrology permeates through tarot. And honestly, if you are looking for just solid decks, the Rider Weight Smith and the Thoth deck, they are bar none. In my opinion, they're really the only ones you need. The Thoth deck is a little more advanced. It's a little, little more out there, I'll say, but it's it's gold. It's beautiful. And then the Rider Weight Smith is so classic and so wonderful. And If the Fool's Journey hasn't like hooked you into the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, then I think today will. Because the Major Arcana, it's just gorgeous. I can't stress enough how much thought and time and precision went into crafting this deck. If you're at a spot where you can sit with your deck and look at the cards as I go over them, then definitely do that. Because I really want you to see the imagery that I'm talking about as I describe it so you can make those mental connections. But if you can't, just keep the image of the card in your mind while I talk about it. And if you're completely new to tarot, then this is going to be an amazing overview for you. And if you aren't new to tarot, hopefully you can listen and uh, gain some new insights. Maybe look at some things in the cards that you haven't seen before or catch some uh, associations that you really hadn't noticed before. All right, so let's get started. We have a lot to get through. The Fool. The Fool is assigned the element of air. The Fool has ideas and lots of them, and they're just beginning their journey in a very light-hearted, flighty kind of way. Nothing is concrete yet for the Fool. It's all very up in the air, which pun, <laughs> but seriously, Everything the fool has planned is in the beginning stages. It's all thoughts and ideas. This goes perfectly with the element of air because air is our intellectual world. Air is also communication, which I find an interesting parallel with Mercury going retrograde and it being able to make a fool out of us, so to speak. So while this one seems a little odd at first, when we think about it a little deeper, Air really does suit the fool. Moving on to the magician. The magician is Mercury personified. They are pointing one hand to the stars and one hand to the ground below. This speaks to Mercury being a messenger between worlds and being able to be both a morning or a night star. Remember from the episode on sect how I said Mercury isn't really on either the day or the night team? This is another shining example of that. Mercury has the ability to be day or night, to go up or down, to, the, to heaven or hell. It doesn't matter. Mercury can go there because they are a messenger. The magician also has all the tools to create and communicate their will with the world. The four suits of the tarot, which also stand for the four elements, are laid out on the table in front of the magician, waiting to be utilized. The High Priestess so the moon is associated with the high priestess. And you might be saying, now hold up Delena. isn't the moon literally one of the cards in the tarot deck? Why would the moon not be the moon? Well, I can't exactly tell you why, because I wasn't there when this was all discussed and went down, but I can tell you the justification for the high priestess being signified by the moon. And to tell the truth, there's some pretty compelling reasons. First we have that badass like bougie crown of the triple goddess that she wears. The triple goddess or the triple moon symbol shows the three phases of the moon waxing, full, and waning, which can also be interpreted as the maiden, the mother, and the crone. It's representative of the three main phases in life that people ultimately go through. Next, the High Priestess is all about lifting the veil and revealing the subconscious world to those that seek it, which is very much in line with the significations of the moon itself. And also, there's just like this giant crescent moon at her feet in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, so I'd say that she can keep the moon's signification. The Empress. The Empress makes it real easy to tell who she stands for as the symbol of Venus is front and center. It actually reminds me of uh, like a candy heart that has a symbol for Venus on it. It's just like right there beside her chair and it's, it's just there out in the open. There's no hiding it. That's what her card really reminds me of, just like a Valentine's Day card. Like, I'm Venus, this is me. This card is so abundantly about abundance, that it's ridiculous. There's wheat in the foreground of the card symbolizing bounty and harvest, and in the background there's a flowing stream. And we know from the All About Venus episode that Venus is all about bringing people together and has this flowing intuitive vibe. Shared opulence is what I get from the Empress. She signifies the benefic parts of Venus, and wants to share her bounty with you in the most beautiful and loving way possible. Switching gears entirely, we come to the card that has the first actual zodiac sign assigned to it. The Emperor could be no one other than Aries. Similar to his Empress counterpart, he makes it very clear who he's repping. His throne is adorned with ram's heads, and he's wearing various shades of crimson and red. He also looks to be holding a little gold ball in his hand, which to me signifies the sun. The sun is exalted in Aries, so Aries would love to be close to that white hot energy. The landscape behind the emperor is also really dry and arid looking, and also kind of mountainous. There's not much water in sight, which definitely aligns with Aries and Mars's hot and dry significations. And the last thing I'll say, about the emperor is that he basically looks more like uh, like a soldier or like a, a captain <laughs> in like an army than he does an emperor. He doesn't look very kingly per se, but he does look like he could lead you into battle and you'd kick ass. So very much Aries, The Hierophant. This one is a little less obvious in its display. Taurus is the zodiac sign associated with the Hierophant. While there's no outright signifier of this, if we look to the meaning of the card itself, we can find the key. Speaking of key, remember I said last week that this card has keys on it? You can't see me winking right now, but I am winking. I'm giving you like a little nod, like, hey, our episodes are building on each other, so pay attention. That's my little wink. <laughs> so, on a basic level, the Hierophant is opulent as fuck. And we know Taurus has a tendency to be that way too. Next is the stubborn factor. Some people call it stubborn. I call it sticking to their truths. Taurus is all about sticking to their truths and adhering to their rituals. The Hierophant is the same way. The Hierophant is a spiritual or religious teacher, and they have to be strong in their convictions if they're going to teach other people to walk the path that they walk. Lastly, the Hierophant is fixed upon their throne. And that's sort of where they preach from. Taurus is a fixed sign. They dig in deep and they cannot be swayed from what they believe their inner truths to be. You cannot tell a Taurus anything other than what they believe. It's deep-rooted, it's deep-seated, that's just how it is. This is another card that at first glance doesn't seem to fit, but when we look deeper, the connection is there. And we're going to see a couple of those as we go, And I think you guys are going to really be mind blown about how some of these build upon themselves. So let's keep going. The lovers. Gemini is the lovers. And the first thing you should be thinking is the twins. Of course, the twins. This card is clearly a representation of the story of Adam and Eve. As there's a snake on the card and the snake's like wrapped around an apple tree. And there's even this big ominous angel. Eve was made from Adam's rib, making them kind of twins because they come from the same thing, which is really interesting to think about. While the Garden of Eden thing is definitely true for this card, it's not the entire story. Gemini is a very intellectual sign as it's ruled by Mercury. The Lover's card is a a card not just of relationships, but also choices. A lot of the time when I have this card pop up, it's more about a choice than it is like a romantic relationship. So what do we have to do to make a choice? We have to think and we have to communicate. We have to be like Gemini. We have to embody Mercury and we have to make a level-headed and sometimes quick-witted decision. The chariot. So out of all the cards, this one has always confused me So much as to the assignment. That is until I looked a little deeper. Cancer is the zodiac sign associated with this card. When you look at the bigger picture and the overall system of how the cards got their significations, it makes more sense, but when looking at it singularly, it can be hard to pin down. One of the best ways to think about Cancer being associated with this card is that a chariot is like a moving fortress. And what is a crab? but a moving fortress. It's a walking, breathing, living fortress. Another link to the chariot and Cancer are the black and white sphinx in front of the chariot. If we take a stroll back to the high priestess, we see that she is seated between two pillars, one black and one white. The high priestess is associated with the moon, and who's ruled by the moon? Cancer. The chariot itself also seems to be covered in some sort of similar blue cloth that the high priestess is wearing. It's like the chariot is the embodiment of a moving subconscious or intuition, which you could totally make an argument that Cancer is also just a walking, talking, intuitive being. While this one wasn't as straightforward, I really liked having to look for the connections that brought it to life. It really shows how in depth this system of tarot is and how well thought out the astrological aspects of it were placed throughout the deck and just the entwinement. It's a beautiful story. I I said it last week, but the Fool's Journey really is a beautiful story. Now we're getting back to the more straightforward ones. This card has a picture of a lady petting a lion, and I wonder who this could be Leo. It's obviously Leo. Strength and Leo go hand in hand. Strength is about having grace and poise while also being a badass and doing what needs to be done. It's about being the leader of your own inner world and letting it shine through without too much bravado or ego getting in the way. But I will say, you do have to have an ego to live. Everyone wants to shit on the ego, but the ego is an essential part of who we are. It's all about taming the ego and being brave enough to take that journey, to take that endeavor on. That's where Leo comes in. Leo isn't afraid to go there and to make things happen. Leo literally is the ego. It's the heart. It's the soul. So this card also says to me that you have to be strong enough to love yourself in a healthy way. Next, we have the hermit. This one is strange at first, but also makes sense in the end. Virgo is associated with the hermit. Virgo's symbol is uh, the virgin or the maiden. So how does this crusty old like Gandalf looking dude with a lamp equate to the virgin or the maiden? Well, I'll tell you my babes, and it kind of makes sense. Actually, it just does make sense. Virgo is the sign of service to others. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Virgo is the worker bee of the zodiac that doesn't take any credit. I find that most Virgos are just happy to be of service and to have helped out, to have helped a friend out, to make an impact, to make someone's day easier. That's really what Virgo is all about. Most Virgos I know even have a love language of acts of service. And circling this back around to the hermit, the dude has a lamp and he's lighting the path for others. The hermit is solitary and lives his life in service to others. He helps them regain their direction or enlightens them with wisdom, basically anything he can do to help the person in question along in their journey. Virgo is so similar. Most Virgos really do just want to be helpful and Low key, left alone after they help you. So lots of helpful hermit Virgo energy. As we move on to the Wheel of Fortune, we take a quick break from Zodiac sign assignments, and we get a planetary one. Jupiter is assigned to this card. As the Wheel of Karma turns, so does our fate and the gifts that come along with that. Sometimes this card is seen as kind of a negative or scary one, but with Jupiter attached to it, I think it's anything but scary. Jupiter is a benefic and dispenses wisdom and generosity at random. The sphinx on top of the wheel has a sword, which stands for intellect and knowledge. The wheel turning signifies life in general and how we go through good times and bad. The wheel never stays in one place for too long, so we should take comfort in knowing that Jupiter's gifts can rain down on us at any point in time. The wheel can turn, and we can turn a new leaf, turn a new page, literally at any point in time. This card also gives me a sense that those who take an active part in their karma or their fate will be rewarded. All four of the creatures in the corners of the card are reading a book. And like I said, The Sphinx has a sword. Jupiter rewards those who reward themselves through the power of knowledge and self discovery. Next up is justice. Guessing who justice relates to should be pretty easy. I mean, it's good old Libra. The first clue is that the man on the card is holding a scale or a balance, which is the symbol for Libra. Second, justice, peace, harmony, and fairness are all significations that relate to Libra. And third, the man is holding a sword, which the suit of swords stands for the element of air. Libra's an air sign, so boom. Not a whole lot else to say about this one. Justice is Libra, Libra is justice. That's the end of it. And now we come to another puzzler, the hanged man. The hanged man relates to the element of water. Other than him wearing a blue shirt, there's no water in sight or any imagery that would even indicate water. This means it's not so much about physical water, and more about what water itself means in a spiritual sense. The hanged man is at a standstill. He's hanged because he's suspended in time, thought, and emotion. To be brought down from his hanged position, a cleansing needs to happen. What is it that we typically use to cleanse things? Water. The hanged man needs to let water wash over him and clear him of his sins, his wrongdoings, and just generally allow him to usher in much-needed forgiveness of himself and others, but typically himself. We have to start always with ourselves before we begin forgiving other people. Self-forgiveness is key in everything we do. So just keep that in mind for the hanged man that Really forgiveness of himself is what he's looking for This cleansing will bring about new thoughts and emotions that will allow him to see the path forward in a much clearer way So that's how water plays into the hanged man again Not super obvious at first, but makes total sense when we sit down and really look at the card And uh, the card that comes after the hanged man Really lets us know why he had to be water so Next up, we have Scorpio riding in on the card of death. Once the hanged man is cut down, the floodgates are released and you can visibly see it on this card. Water is just everywhere, literally everywhere. Scorpio is also a water sign. So this system really is playing well off of itself and again, showing the depth of these significations. Scorpio being death is no big surprise. The death-rebirth cycle is Scorpio's thing, so it's only fitting that they would rush in when the hanged man is having his rebirth moment. This card is kind of feared in the tarot world by beginners, mostly because they think it's like a really bad card and that something or someone will actually die. But death is on a white horse. The sun is shining brightly in the background, and a religious figure is greeting Death's horse. So yes, there are metaphorical deaths that occur when this card comes up, but they are met with optimism and a chance at a new beginning. And on that note, I also want to say that there are two children on this card, and I'm just going to leave that there. I'm going to drop that little nugget, and we'll get back to it in a minute. After death comes temperance, which is associated with Sagittarius. To me, temperance doesn't immediately scream Sagittarius energy. The first clue Sagittarius is involved is the fire element symbol on the angel's chest, which is just shown as a plane triangle. The angel is mixing what looks like water back and forth from two cups and has one foot on the ground and the other foot in a nearby stream. There's a sense of alchemy and balance with this card. The angel almost seems to be experimenting or trying to find the most balanced or enlightened state of being. This is where I really see the Sagittarius come in. Sagittarius is the truth seeker and the eternal student. They are forever learning the essential truths of life and how to properly balance them. For anyone with heavy Sagittarius placements, one of the key things to learn is to take everything in moderation. So not only do I see Sagittarius in this card, but I also see it as a lesson or a reminder for Sagittarius. There's also this winding path behind the angel that leads to a bright and beaming sun, and to me, this speaks to the spiritual nature of a Sagittarius's journey and uh, that they will be most fulfilled when they take that journey with temperance. I have yet to meet another Sagittarius or someone with heavy Sagittarius placements that doesn't at some point get into religion or philosophy or just likes to talk about the higher crazy universal concepts of life. And I think that's what temperance is really speaking to. It's speaking to trying to find out the secrets of life, the the alchemy of life. That's what Sagittarius is trying to do. But to do that, they have to temper their fire. They have to know how to direct it and work with it to utilize it properly. Moving on to the devil. So this one seems a little bit unfair, but it is what it is. Capricorn gets the heavy job of being tied to the devil. Immediately, I think of the goat signification. The devil is depicted as basically a flying goat man on this card, and Capricorn is the goat, so there's that. Looking deeper, though, we see that the devil is all about control. This card deals with addictions, being bound to things, power struggles, both internal and external, and just a general sense of being stuck or chained down. I think most Capricorns struggle with those feelings, which is no surprise, because Capricorn is ruled by Saturn, and uh, Saturn just brings about that restrictive, oppressive feeling that we see with the devil. What we need to remember, though, is that with this card, a lot of the time, we are the ones binding ourselves to the unsavory situation or emotion. It's about putting in the shadow work and realizing that you can face your demons should you be brave enough to do so. Capricorns aren't afraid of hard work, but they are often afraid of the depths of their own soul. So I can see how they feel bound within their own subconscious at times and how this card is really tied to them. The Tower. Okay, so I love the association for The Tower. Just by looking at the destruction and the devastation on the card, only one planet could bring about that kind of chaos, and that's Mars. Mars rules my moon and is the overall ruler of my chart, so I always love a good Martian moment. The lightning and the fire in this card are just so Mars. It screams Martian energy. People are falling out of the tower as it's coming, you know, crashing down. The crown, being knocked off of the top, has always been a a true favorite detail of mine. It's like Mars is coming in to remind us that we're human. We aren't gods, we aren't angels, we aren't kings or queens, we're animals living a human experience, and how dare we think that we can circumvent the pain and suffering that sometimes accompanies that. To me, rage is beautiful, and that's what this card is showing. It's showing rage. It's showing that if we ignore our duties as humans to expand and grow, we'll be struck down and forced to expand and grow and to begin again in a new way. If you remember from the, uh, the Mars episode, the All About Mars episode, I talk about Mars having cutting or separating significations. And that's what we're seeing here. Mars is cutting us down. It's separating us from a life that we once knew. That's what the tower does it decimates, it destroys the old way of being, separates you from the old way of being. So you have to step in to the new way of being. When we do begin again, that's when we look up from the ground through the dust and the dirt and we see the star. If you couldn't tell, Aquarius is the star and uh, that's literally because there's a water bearer on the card. Like, that's what the person is. The person literally is in the water, and they're a water bearer. The person on the card is pouring water into the water, as well as water onto the ground around them. They're feeding their emotional world, as well as feeding their physical world, so they can begin to build themselves up again after having experienced the tower. I've always thought that They're naked because they literally just, like, fell from a burning tower and have nothing left. There are stars around the person which symbolize the planets and the luminaries looking down upon them as they begin again. Aquarius is all about humanitarian ideals and the bigger picture. So when this person starts again, I have a feeling they will be thinking more about... The bigger picture and humanity in general than just themselves as they move forward, which is a lesson we must all learn at some point. We all have to learn that it's not all about us. Sometimes we have to think about other people as we go through our journey. And again, the ego is essential, but we have to have strength in order to tame it. We round out the last zodiac sign with Pisces being tied to the tarot card of the moon. We've already squared away why Cancer didn't get this one, but let's see why Pisces did. The moon is the subconscious, it's intuition, and it's also suffering. Now, I know all water signs suffer in their own way, but I'm going to go ahead and say that Pisces suffers the most as they feel the most out of place and otherworldly at all times. I personally actually don't like the moon as a tarot card. It is my least favorite card. I think it brings the worst significations along with it, and it generally never delivers good news. It has to do with illusions and not being grounded, which is also very much a Pisces thing. Interestingly, on the card, there are two pillars and someone's face in the moon. To me, those two pillars go back to the high priestess and the two pillars that were stationed in front of her. The face in the moon could even be hers. The high priestess sits in front of the veil of our subconscious. So to me, this card is behind the veil. The moon is what is behind the high priestess's veil because that's the subconscious. The moon is our subconscious. And if that didn't just blow your mind then I don't know what will. It's so crazy to me that this card is literally a depiction of what's going on behind the High Priestess's veil. And I mean, at least that's what I see. Maybe you interpret it different, but I think it's pretty straightforward. That's what's going on here. There's even a small road on the Moon card that leads through the water, which I can only imagine takes you back to consciousness. Also, These pillars are seen in the background of the death card. So getting to this point of uh, seeing deep within ourselves is faded at some point. And it also means that Pisces has the ability to kind of go in between the veil at any point in time. But it definitely costs them emotionally. They feel a lot. And they feel even when they don't want to feel. Pisces cannot turn it off They are just bombarded at all times with emotion. So yeah, being able to be in the astral plane and in your intuition and be psychic sounds cool, but at what cost? While the moon didn't get to have uh, the moon directly associated with it, the sun, on the other hand, does. No other planet, element, or placement would dare to take the place of the sun on its own card. There's a huge sun with sunflowers and a big flowing red flag held by a small child. Now, this white horse looks eerily familiar. Maybe it's because death also rode in on a white horse. And not to mention the child on the horse looks exactly like one of the children on the death card. I told you to remember that child, didn't I? I said, I'll just leave this nugget here and we'll get back to it. Well, we got back to it, my babes. This is a full circle moment. Sometimes we think our world has come to an end and that the universe is throwing needless suffering at us, but really, the sun will always come around. Life is not over until it's over and that wheel of fortune will keep on turning until... Even after we take our last breath, it never stops. The wheel of fortune, the wheel of life will continue on forever, just like the sun will continue on. The sun is a reminder to never give up because your next sunny day is right around the corner. Then we move on to judgment judgment is a cleansing by fire, it's uh, having ourselves being put up against the angel with blood red wings and fiery hair to plead your case. And show how you've grown. You are ultimately showing judgment that you've walked through the flames of hell and you came out on the other side, still standing. And now that you uh, have come out on the other side, you're looking judgment in the eye and you're saying that you dare to create a new world with all of your knowledge and that you are ready to pursue it with fiery ambitions. We've come to the end of the line, my babes, otherwise known as the world. The world is big enough to take on two significations, actually, so it gets the element of Earth as well as Big Daddy Saturn. To me, it's like Saturn is the one who sent the fool on his journey in the first place and just patiently waited for them at the finish line to reward them. We don't think much of Saturn in terms of rewards, but they are there. They just come in different packages than Jupiter or Venus sends. Saturn's gifts come in the form of valuable life lessons and inner strengths to live out our true wills. When we complete our journey through the tarot, we are granted not only the knowledge from the journey, but the earthly desire to take the journey all over again. I feel like I learned so much from just talking about this and I hope that you guys did too. If you learned something new today, head on over to my Instagram at moonmatters.astro and just tell me about it. I would love to hear where you're at with your tarot journey or even if you don't like tarot or you're not into tarot, how this lined up for you astrologically or if you're super into tarot, tell me how this blew your mind or tell me something that I didn't hit on. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear if there's an astrological connection that you made yourself. That would be really awesome. And if you did enjoy today's episode, please leave me a rating or review on iTunes. That would be super cool. (laughs) You know, I just want to say that even though I'm the one teaching you and I'm the one talking to you, I feel like every time I go through the tarot, there's more that I pick up on. It's so jam-packed with astrological goodness, symbolism, and just a sense of pure wonder. Whenever I analyze it, I just get so rejuvenated and I get, uh, maybe it's the Sagittarius, you know, the temperance and finding the spiritual meaning of life, but I really do feel like life is magic. That's how this makes me feel. So thank you all for giving me the opportunity to learn through teaching and to essentially begin the fool's journey over and over again each and every week. I love you babes dearly, and I'll see you all back here next week, same time, same place. Until then, later days.